This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 86, Strength Training for Yoga. Do you think yoga is a complete practice that gives your body everything it needs? Well, more and more, it seems that science movement experts suggest differently. So for today's episode, I sat down with Jenny Rollins and Travis Pollan to talk about the place of strength training for yogis. Jenny has completed a wealth of training and learning in the field of yoga, anatomy, and movement science. She writes regularly for Yoga International and for her own body-geeked-focused yoga website, where she also offers science-based yoga classes and continuing education courses for yogis. Travis, on the other hand, is a personal trainer, an author, and he has a PhD in health and rehabilitation sciences. His research focuses on core stability, movement screening, training load, and injury risk appraisal. He also holds a master's degree in biomechanics and movement science, along with the American record for Paralympic swimming. They came together as a duo, as a team, to write this book called Strength Training for Yoga. So we sat down today to talk about that. If you like this podcast, you can continue to get inspired and learn even more with a premium subscription. As a member, get early access to regular episodes, a ton of exclusive audio and video content, and the ability to request the exact kind of episode you need to continue to deepen your personal practice. This podcast is a way I contribute to the community, and this membership is a way you can too. It allows you to share everything yoga has to offer with the world by supporting me in the creation and the production of the podcast and helping me keeping it ad-free. If you'd like to make a difference, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a premium member. And I thank you right now in advance for your support. I'm also preparing something special to be released soon. So in the meantime, visit ericabelanger.com, so my website, and get your hands on some of my freebies I offer there. There's a free meditation, there's a yoga sequence cheat sheet, and there's even my favorite green juice recipe. So that way, when I'm ready to launch, you won't miss it, and you'll be part of my inner circle for now on. All right, let's get to our episode of today with Jenny and Travis. Jenny, Travis, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Erica. Such a pleasure to have you on. Let's start with you, Jenny. For listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your yoga journey? Yes. I have been practicing yoga since for a long time, since maybe 1999 or so. And steadily all throughout all those years. And I was so into my yoga practice and loving it so much that I ended up opening a yoga clothing store back in 2002 that I owned and ran. uh, And alongside of that, I practiced and then I started teaching yoga throughout those years. And um, at some point in my yoga teaching journey, I realized that there's a big difference between being on the mat and doing my practice versus leading other bodies through their practice. For sure. And I came to, it just showed me how much that I realized I didn't know once I actually started teaching. And uh, I really tuned in to realizing that one of the biggest areas I felt like I lacked knowledge in was body knowledge, anatomy knowledge, uh, how the body moves and those, that kind of realm. And so from that point on, I kind of set about just, um, taking on the goal of self-education in that department. And so since then, I've just done 
countless trainings and studying and learning in that realm and kind of brought that together into my yoga teaching so that that might be like maybe a, a specialty or an extra extra focus on what I share and focus on in, in what I teach. And, and um, I've taught for 12 to 15 years or so, but for the last few years, I've been primarily teaching yoga and uh, educating yoga teachers online. So through my website and social media. That's kind of my approach in a nutshell right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Travis, how about you? So I started doing yoga. I'm a, I'm a yoga student still. Um, in 2005, as a way to help with recovery from swimming, I was a competitive swimmer for seven years. And uh, when I retired from swimming in 2012, I went on to get a master's degree in biomechanics. And then just last year, I got a PhD in health and rehabilitation sciences. So I'm a yoga student and teacher, researcher, scientist. I'm also a personal trainer. So I connected with Jenny a few years ago and um, have been on like a very fast track towards more (laughs) yoga education uh, in the last couple of years of working closely with her. So, um, I, and I, of course, still continue to do yoga, um, mostly practicing to Jenny's online classes, especially <laughs> during the pandemic. Which I'm honored about. <laughs> and why did you uh, turn your studies precisely towards rehab and injury prevention and these things? Why did you yeah. want to study that as a PhD? So my, my undergraduate degree was in physics, but I always loved exercise and human movement. I, I was just telling Jenny the other day, um, we, we were talking, we had gone off into a tangent about Pilates and I was like, oh yeah, I read a book about Pilates when I was in high school because I would just go to the library as like a 15 year old and go to the exercise section and whatever books I could find. So whether it was nutrition or stretching or massage or the psychology of human performance or Pilates, I would just devour these books. And so although I had, I was doing physics, I sort of realized that I didn't, I wasn't, that's not what I wanted to do forever. But then I discovered the field of biomechanics, which was kind of like this perfect hybrid Mm -hmm. of exercise Mm -hmm. science and physics of the human body. And then that launched me into the trajectory of focusing more on the rehabilitation side of biomechanics and ultimately getting my PhD in injury prevention, where I then circled back to studying swimmers, um, which of course was another- And the rotator cuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, the swimmer's shoulder. Yeah. Uh, you guys together just launched a book called Strain Training for Yoga. Congrats on that. I really, loved, I really loved how um, there's so much video in there. It's not something you expect from even an ebook normally, but- it's so useful. So good decision there. We, we tried <laughs> to tell opinion. people like, you know, it's a book, but because people, people said, oh, I, like we sent it to a few people in advance and they said, I haven't had the time to look at it yet. And we're like, just so you know, it's mostly pictures and videos. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a book because we wanted to explain like how you do it, but it's really mostly a training program with all the links to the videos and stuff. So, so then people have said, well, is there a hard copy? And it's like, well, no, there's not because... It just, we want to make it easy to, for you to click the link to yeah. watch the video, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not like back in the days where you can 
put a DVD inside the, <laughs> the book. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, nobody even has a DVD player anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you guys decide to come together and write this particular book on this particular subject? That is a great question. Well, Travis and I, we like Travis mentioned, we connected a few years ago. And since then, we've been collaborating on several different educational projects, uh, mostly for the yoga community. And then it was really actually Travis's girlfriend's idea. I don't know how she came up with it, but I think from maybe being stepped back from our work together a bit, she could see it a little more objectively. And I think she just saw that that great uh, compliment that that we are to one another with me being a yoga teacher and Travis having that all of the biomechanics and personal training and rehabilitation side of things. Mm-hmm. It's just the two, like it seemed like this subject matter for a book would be best written by two people with our specialties. And I think that, that Kate really saw that. And I so appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that, so that was two years ago that she came up with the idea and then I pitched it to Jenny who was initially very reluctant, but I mm-hmm. somehow managed to convince her. Um, but at, <laughs> at the time we, um, it felt like the moment was right because mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. people over the last, I don't know how long, at least since I've been more involved in this online yoga community, people are starting to realize the importance of strength and where mm-hmm. yoga is is able to satisfy that need, but also some places where it's not. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily an easy sell to say like, okay, you, because of the general yoga student probably is the one who, you know, if they're a member of a gym, let's say that has yoga classes, they purposefully go to the yoga studio and not, you know, turn right to the yoga studio and don't turn left to the place where all the guys are grunting and like throwing <laughs> weights around. So, so to kind of say, okay, we're going to try to, you know, reach people who their general predisposition would not be towards this thing. So how can we make it, mm friendly and inviting and non-intimidating mm-hmm. and of course the first step was what we felt was just let's educate people on like how you do this thing so it, it doesn't have to be scary for fear of not knowing what to do and then secondly for people who don't who just they don't want to go they don't want to make that left ever into the weight room uh, how can you do this at home especially during a pandemic or the tail end of a pandemic hopefully with uh, minimal equipment right mm-hmm. but then having the option like once you've done the minimal equipment version, you could take the book and training program for a second spin and do it at a gym with mm-hmm. more access to equipment. So we just wanted it to be like this one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's many things in what you said that I want to go come back to. <laughs> but let's start just back when you introduced yourself and you talked about exercise science. Just for people that are tuning in that are not in this world and they're just mm-hmm. yogis, can you tell us what is movement or exercise science and why should student or at least teachers learn more about it? Yeah. So other words that you might hear like – I, I actually remember when I was reading those books in high school, one of the books talks about like exercise science and kinesiology. And like, I wrote it down on a post-it note and I was like, Oh, I think kinesiology would be a good field of study for me having never heard of it before. Um, but so there are many names, exercise science, kinesiology, biomechanics, um, human movement science, uh, whatever. But it's the idea that we're, 
we're looking at the literally the science of exercise. So exercise physiology is another sub branch of this um, bioenergetics. So the the idea is that you you want to better understand like what the the physics are of human movement, what the uh, maybe the biochemistry is of human movement, um, what the psychology is of human movement. And uh, although I've never taken a yoga teacher training, what the anatomy is, right? Mm -hmm. I understand that there, especially mm -hmm. like in a, let's say a 200 hour training, um, th these aren't necessarily topics that are covered as in depth. Yeah, as, there's no time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I like, Everything I totally else. get that. You're trying to, you like, it, you can easily spend 500 hours on the yoga without any of that. But so Absolutely. when when I sort of better came to understand through learning from Jenny, like what is covered in a typical teacher training, I thought, oh my goodness, like there's such a an opportunity to um, better educate yoga teachers or you know interested yoga students on more of the anatomy and the biomechanics um, because that would enrich their practice more of the more, more traditional exercise science um, jargon and principles of how to add load to the body, how to progress movements as opposed to, and, and in a group setting, it's always tough, but mm -hmm. the idea like, oh, we're just going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing chaturanga over and over again on the floor um, and try to, and like hope and pray that it's going to, we're going to get better and stronger or we could show people, well, here are the ways that you would progress it more systematically by changing your leverage or introducing props in a different way that could make the exercise easier. So it's meeting you where you're at better now and then work towards doing the full range of motion on the floor over time, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we learn that, let's go to what you just said about load. What... What is that? <laughs> and like either of you can answer, obviously. Um, what's the importance of load in any type of training? But what's the issue with load in yoga? Jenny's got this one. <laughs> let, me, let me do my best. Maybe you can back me up here. But uh, what is – I feel like that question of what is load – it's a little bit – it's a little tricky for me to define, but I understand load to be another word for stress – and stress meaning not a negative thing. We, our culture tends to think of stress as mm -hmm. we're trying to always de-stress and get rid of stress. But in like a biomechanical context, stress just means, I'm kind of circling back, it means lo load applied to the body, but those two are kind of each other. But um, forces applied to the body that stimulate our body to adapt and respond to grow stronger would, would at least be would at least be the type of loading that I think we're talking about in a yoga and movement science context. And then maybe what we're trying to do on the yoga mat, at least in terms of strengthening, I know we're trying to do many different things on the yoga mat and we might have varying goals, but, uh, but what Travis and I are focusing on in our message and in this book is just to help people optimize uh, creating and building true strengths via the vehicle of load on the yoga mat. So in order to do that, we have to, like I said, apply force to the body or create resistance that our muscles can work against in our yoga poses. And when that resistance meets our body at the, at the right quote level, 
uh, you know, of our current strength level. And when we repeat that with enough frequency over time, then that can stimulate those adaptations that we're looking for to improve and increase strength. And that strength can come in the form of our muscles, improving their ability to generate force. So then we can control ourselves and move our body through our yoga asanas more efficiently and maybe with more ease. And, uh, and also there's like strength is also, that's also kind of a, that's also a gray area term with many different definitions, because we could also think of strength in terms of like the strength of our bones, bone density, bone health, and how something like resistance training can help improve bone strength. There's also connective tissue strength in terms of ligaments and tendons and fascia in the body and how well those um, resist load as well. So it's kind of, and there's even more than just that, mm -hmm. but they're really, these terms are kind of not to be too punny, but they're loaded terms, at least to be, at least as far as being multi, um, multi definitions. But when it comes down to it, I think that if positive change in the body over time in terms of building strength, because we know that that has so many benefits for the body and for us psychologically and for our well-being in general, and also long-term healthy aging and cognitive health, cognitive health. There's just so much there. So I believe that that, that is a goal for many yogis, but sometimes like a traditional yoga asana practice, that's pretty repetitive and doesn't involve the means for progressive loading over time. Sometimes we can kind of miss the boat on really making that true strengthening happen. Because and we so, only have our body weight. Yes. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yes, because we only have our body weight. And for sure, I think that's probably the most important thing. Uh, but I also think there are other issues like the fact that many yoga sequences don't vary too much. I know some classes do. Some classes do bring in an element of variety for sure, but then others are a little more like the same or similar sequences time, time and time again. Mm -hmm. So it's body weight only. So we're not able to progress the load over time that way, but we're also not able to change the inputs to the body, which we also need to a certain extent. It's not that we um, mm -hmm. want hundred percent variety all the time, or else there's not enough consistency for strength to really happen. But also if we're just doing the exact same thing all the time or pretty similar all the time, we're maybe missing out on some opportunity for some more variable loading and the strengthening that could happen through those means. Can you give an example of um, loading that is not as common in yoga or a movement pattern that is not as well represented that we could focus on in strength training to bring more balance? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, I think that I know Travis has lots of ideas on this too. I think yeah, one of the shaking his head. Yeah, totally. I'm sure he'll pick up in just a sec. But one of the one of the ones that I think of a lot is uh, shoulder pulling, mm -hmm. strengthening. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a yoga practice, it's body weight only, and it's also on a yoga mat only. And so all of the shoulder strengthening that we do do in the yoga mat is in the terms of shoulder pushing, like picture plank pose or chaturanga in which we're pushing our body away from the floor. So those can be really great movements for developing shoulder strength, but it's only in one direction of shoulder strength. Uh, and that's also only in the horizontal pushing direction, but there's also horizontal pulling shoulder strengthening that we can do for our body, but we can't do that very well in a yoga setting because it's not yoga's fault. It doesn't mean that yoga is bad, but we just need to be realistic about, you know, what we have on our hands here. Mm -hmm. And in a, in a yoga mat based practice, there's nothing to pull our body toward. 
or to pull toward ourselves. Uh, like nothing like say a weight or a bar that you might hang from and mm-hmm. then pull yourself up toward the bar. That would be vertical pulling for yeah, the shoulders. Yeah, like yeah, precisely. Uh, what else, Travis, as far as like missing ingredients? Yeah, well, so you mentioned the like the chaturanga, plank, even down dog and handstand are also pushing. Mm-hmm. So you might not necessarily, like your eyes might not see that right away, but it's still the same. You're exerting force against gravity to keep your body up. So mm-hmm. the, the pulling movements that you do maybe get would be, if you are doing any, it's just body weight, like using your arms, like bending over, or, or let's say shalabhasana, right? You're mm-hmm. you're um, kind of lifting your arms back into shoulder extension, arms behind you, if you do it that way. But you're at least <laughs> working on the back muscles, but it's only your body weight. And it's hard, uh, but the, the way that it's hard is usually holding it for a period of time or or doing it several times again and again, but you're not training like we said you're not training that true quality of strength which is really like this has to be hard to the point where i can only do it a couple of times or mm-hmm. for there's no duration. failure unless like chaturanga you'll that meet failure well. possibly but it, exactly mm-hmm. exactly and that's a really critical component to building muscle is getting close to failure so and then the other just the one that comes to mind because we've been getting comments about this is on the very first uh, session of the training program in the book, we have an exercise called Copenhagen planks. And a Copenhagen plank is a side plank where the top leg is elevated, like on a bench or a chair. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have gotten really creative and used like an office chair, uh, which makes mm-hmm. it even harder because it's swivelly. But um, the idea is that the bottom leg is hovering. So not only are your like is your side body, your obliques keeping you up in the in the way that you would in a side plank, but really your adductors or inner thigh muscles are working hard to maintain that side plank position. And people have been saying like, oh my God, that was the easily the hardest exercise yeah. or movement in this mm-hmm. in this day. And to me, not that it's not hard, but we present, we give people several options for how to make it easier. And people are working with the easiest version or the, the you know, level one, version one, and, and still giving us that feedback. So we see like, there, there is adductor training in um, warrior one, uh, or not warrior, warrior two, uh, warrior two. Yeah, the side. Yeah. Um, but it's not training it in the same way. Yeah, like and you can easily bypass it too. That, that too. Totally. So that was th- yeah. that was just kind of a, a surprise to me, and and I think as people get further along in the programs, maybe we'll get other feedback like that. Um, because we did try to include loaded exercises or movements that were some, some of course were loaded versions of postures that you would encounter in a typical asana practice, Mm -hmm. but some we tried to think, okay, what, what's missing from Mm -hmm. a typical sequence and how can we incorporate that? Yeah. But it's been my experience too. I haven't tried every single thing in the book, but, uh, this particular version of the plank, a PT gave me in the past. A, so cool. a PT gave it to me for um, an SI joint um, mm-hmm. injury. I and I was like, why is this so hard? <laughs> this doesn't <laughs> look hard. Like wh- I was struggling so much to get it done. And I was kind of shocked. I didn't mm-hmm. expect it to be so difficult. Yeah. And I, I think that there, there are variations in that I've done in yoga classes where maybe you're in high side, like 
high side plank plank on your hand and you'll pick up the bottom leg. Um, but it oh, just, yeah. for whatever reason, it doesn't hit you quite Mm-mm. the same way. <laughs> and you also don't do it for like as repetitively and like as regularly. Right. As that, that could just be like a transition, like mm-hmm. fall in triangle. Fall in triangle where, where you yeah. cover the bottom leg. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. But you don't hold it there for a minute. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And time yourself and then repeat that like two more times. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just not as structured in a yoga class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So coming back to something Jenny said when you were answering the previous question, you talked about how it helps uh, control in the body, building strength helps control in the body, ease. And you talked about bone health and connective tissue mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. What other benefits can people think about if they're kind of on the fence they're like I like my yoga practice the way it is <laughs> I hear yes. you guys but I need a little bit more convincing so how mm-hmm. can we convince people that are a little bit on the fence that maybe some strength training would actually benefit their yoga practice and their general health that's a great question gosh I mean I think one of the one of the first things that comes to mind for me and that has been really beneficial for me in my experience is just the way that seeing my body be able to strengthen over time and to actually see that in the systematized manner that a strength training practice allows for because you you add load over time in a way in which like numbers on the weights go mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. or number of repetitions of a particular movement go up. So you actually see that and that psychologically can have an impact as far as understanding and really like on a really felt way experiencing your body making that positive change over time. And then that also starts to build more confidence in one's body and, and confidence in the resilience of one's body. And not that we have time at all to get into things like pain science in this, um, in this talk right here, but we do know uh, from pain science that things like chronic pain in the body can be positively influenced by, by psychology and beliefs and just our understanding about, about our bodies. So the more that we can believe in and trust and know that we're these really robust structures, and we know that that strength, the evidence seems to suggest that strengthening also has injury prevention benefits and can help us to be more resilient against injury. So all of that kind of combines to, I think, just give us a better experience in our body. And then the way that might relate even directly to yoga is I think we're all probably familiar with some of the common chronic pain complaints that do arise from within a yoga practice, especially long-term, really regular yogis where a typical mat practice might be their, their main or their only movement practice that they do. Mm-hmm. And there's so many reasons for that. Like there, there's a, a strong messaging in the yoga world that a yoga practice can be a complete practice that gives your body all of the like inputs that it might need in order to be healthy on that physical level. So a lot of people believe that because they don't think to question it. And they, then they just think this vinyasa flow class is all I need three times a week for years, I don't need to think about doing anything else. But then over time, maybe these chronic nagging aches and pains start. Maybe not because of the yoga itself being, quote, damaging or injurious, but possibly just due to more of a lack of other types of loading inputs that they're bringing in because we know the body really likes variability in that way. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's just kind of a long-winded way of saying that bringing in a a separate or outside strength training practice can help bring in those variable inputs, give our nervous system and our body a different way, 
our nervous system a different way to experience and feel our body and potentially help prevent against some of those common yoga nagging aches and pains that long-term yogis tend to self-report. The other cool thing that I've witnessed when I've been like in the same place as Jenny, because we live seven hours apart, but when I have (laughs) been there, there will often be things where like we're doing a, a mat practice and like, she'll surprise herself, like a jump through oh, yeah. um, transition, like things that she wasn't able to do for years of, uh, before she started strength training, she would, you know, she would try them all the time and they're just hard, right? You have to be really strong to do certain, uh, transitions and just through the process of building strength off the mat, um, you've returned to trying those things and it just like, and like, suddenly they're just yeah, they're uh, this is repeating them years and years, like over and yeah, over for years on the yoga mat. Super cool to see. And then even, even like sometimes you'll surprise yourself with a weight that you're able to lift that you didn't know mm-hmm. or think that you could before. And I think that's true for everybody. Like even myself, if I'm working out alone, I will choose a certain weight. Whereas if I had a friend uh, with me there, just encouraging me or saying like, you look really strong and that I think you could do more. Um, I, I find that I surprise myself, but that's a really cool and confidence building experience to be able to, you know, oh, I've been doing these rows with the 30, um, but I have this 50 here. Let me try that. <laughs> and like suddenly, those are actually, I think the exact weight that Jenny was using, but yeah suddenly you're able to do so much more than you thought you were capable of and like mm-hmm. holy cow how not only how confidence boosting is that within your strength practice or movement practice but can you imagine how that might carry over to just like your day-to-day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah totally yeah people are definitely result oriented so i think that's really helpful to think about and in that sense if they have like you mentioned the jump through or if they have this particular pose they've been stuck mm-hmm. on and they've wanted to improve how can we know what to strengthen right like how mm-hmm. do we align our strength training exercises with what we want to uh, improve in our yoga practice specifically that's also a good question. And that's something that we, we try to address in the book because I, I at least think that in order to really understand, like say you want to improve your crow pose or bakasana, mm-hmm. that, that classic arm balance. And you struggled with that for a long time in, the, in a yoga context of simply repeating it over and over and it's not really getting anywhere. I think if you, re- I mean, I think any, probably any general strength training program will have positive benefits for it. But if you really want to do some training specifically with that, a specific goal in mind, it helps to have an understanding of human movement and the way that our joints move and different strength training exercises and how they might target the muscles that are involved in pro-pose. So I guess I feel like if one uh, wants to be extra effective and work toward one specific asana like that, they would either need to have some prerequisite anatomy and movement education, or they could look to look to a resource or people who have that. And so like, that's why we put that in our book because we know not everybody can just translate Mm -hmm. asana and map, like say strength training exercises onto asana, just out of their head, they may not have studied movement before. And so that's where we tried to kind of provide this formula and breakdown in the book that shows exactly that. I think we picked like 18 foundational asanas. And of course there are so many more, but 
we picked like 18 of these common ones and showed the specific strength training exercises that someone could take on to target those poses specifically. So even if you didn't want to like take on our, the more, the longer eight week pro strength training program that we designed, and you were more interested in just picking and choosing a pose here and there, you could also do that with the resource of what we put together. Yeah. And that process was, okay, let's look at Crow. And some of them were like, let's get down on the mat and do this Mm -hmm. and like figure out where we're feeling this and where it's hard. Right. But Mm -hmm. so it's kind of thinking, okay, what are the prime, what are the primary joints that are involved in crow? Maybe it's shoulder and, um, core. That's not a joint, but that's a a region of (laughs) the body. Right. Um, and then what are the primary muscles? What are the primary joint actions that need to occur? What are the primary muscles that are involved in those joint actions that could limit the person's ability to do it? And then what are some secondary things like well, you obviously need wrist extension. So that could be more of a mobility thing or mm-hmm. a, a control thing. Um, you need the ability to get really uh, compressed through the core. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a secondary thing besides just having the shoulder pushing and balance strength and control. So that's kind of how we broke down each of those poses and then thought to that thought you know, turn, turn that brain off and turn our strength training brain on and said, okay, what are the ways that traditionally push-ups, dips, um, mm-hmm. planks, crunches, reverse crunches, those are the exercises that might target these positions well. And then we even thought, well, like, let's say wild thing, because wild mm-hmm. thing kind of you're pressing out on a diagonal. It's not like a straight up or a straight out. So we, I don't know if we invented, but I had never seen some of the exercises that Jenny and I came up with together um, just to to target the body in different planes of motion um, to more effectively translate to those asanas. So that's why I think you could say, yeah, if you you picked up a general exercise program, Mm -hmm. um, it would inevitably help you get stronger. But the way that we designed ours was very particularly suited toward the goal. Yeah. And so it's very directed to towards the pose, towards the goal. And then it gives you your results because you're not wasting, not wasting, but you're focusing your energy and your efforts in one particular direction. Yeah. And I, and I that, that could be like the 80-20 rule, right? Where mm-hmm. you'll get 80% of the benefit from doing something general, but this extra 20% that's going to be really specific to you is going to make it that much more uh, efficient and worth your while, I hope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So people can look at the joint movements or the areas of the body that are engaging and then mm-hmm. looking at what muscle are participating in what way and then strengthening those muscles in the same type of movement or in the same range of motion. Yeah. Right. And the, the but then the, so that exactly what you said, but then it's like, well, how do you, how do you, what do you, pick because you could have dumbbells, you could have kettlebells, you could have Mm -hmm. plates, you could have bands. And so that was the other step in our process was, okay, if you had everything under the sun, well, what would be the best thing? Like, okay, barbell, this band, that dumbbell, this, but then if you only had two kettlebells and a resistance band, how could you make this work? Mm -hmm. So, uh, like, cause that's our requirements. yeah, Yeah. The other ingenious thing that I, credit to my girlfriend was I said, we're trying to figure out where people can attach their band to um, because I can use my squat rack, but like most people are not going to have that in their basement. Right. 
Kate and Kate, my girlfriend was like, well, why don't you just have them attach it to their heavy, heavy kettlebell that you already told them they needed? And I'm like, that's the most genius thing I've ever heard. So, so that's, yeah, knowing what movement and how to target it, but then which type of load to apply to it, especially in a minimal equipment context mm-hmm. is like where we spent a lot of our time just trying to iron out those logistics. So in that minimal equipment context of being sheltered at home, what are the basic things people could invest in if they wanted to to do a little bit more strength at home? Mm-hmm. Where do they start? Yeah, to, so I'd say to get the most out of our offering, what we technically recommend is two kettlebells and one resistance band. And as far as that goes, we say two kettlebells of two different sizes, one lighter and one heavier. And to also point out that people could absolutely use dumbbells instead of kettlebells. We just choose to recommend kettlebells because dumbbells always come in pairs. Mm. So it costs more to buy a pair of dumbbells versus just one kettlebell. So for sake of ease and finances, it's just easier to recommend the kettlebell, but both implements are great. But it'd be great if people have one lighter and one heavier And as far as figuring out, because everyone's body is different and where they're starting with strength training is different, but as far as figuring out what those weights would be for them, Mm -hmm. we say that the lighter weight should be a weight that you could press overhead, like push up toward the ceiling about 10 times. So a weight that's light enough, you could do it about 10 times, but then at about the 10th time, you'd be pretty tired and Mm -hmm. you probably, probably couldn't do 11 or 12. So that would be your lighter weight. And then the heavier one would be a weight that you could not press overhead one time. So heavy enough that that you couldn't even lift it overhead. And then generally the lighter weight is the one that we would use for more of the upper body exercises in the program to load the arms and the shoulders. And then the heavier weight is used for more of the lower body exercises in the program. And uh, then the resistance bands, those can look like many things, but like what I have and what we used uh, mostly in the videos is like one of those big loops, which I think that's called a super band, Travis. Is that right? That's what I call it. (laughs) Yeah, right. So just the big loop that you might use like to assist in a pull up, if people can picture that, you know, you loop it around the bar and then put your foot or your knee in it. Uh, I, I personally just ordered like a set of those on Amazon and they were inexpensive and that's worked really well for me. But I think, I think a variety of resistance band tools could work. Travis, do you agree? Yeah, pretty much any, anything could work as long as it's resistive enough that it's actually providing resistance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause you know, the, the TheraBands that you get from PT, they're good for particular kind of motor control type exercises, but, mm-hmm. um, your, your typical like activation ET, mm-hmm. right. But we want it to be hard to do, do the, to load the body. Right. Yeah. So those are, that's the minimal equipment. And that's like what we, in order to do the program, well, that's what we say is required, but then of course, above and beyond that, there are a lot of other implements that people can use. And some people are lucky enough to have like a whole home gym set up, or maybe they're yeah. going to, maybe we're post pandemic and they're going to the gym and they just have everything. Some people like our program is geared toward educating beginners, but of course it's friendly for intermediate and even advanced practitioners as well. So we have like barbell options in there and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have options for, for most people all along the spectrum, but we just wanted to, 
uh, make sure that it was friendly enough for people with very minimal equipment, but they still do need like the two weights on a resistance yeah. band. So that make and the most when you it. change the amount of load, you know, what is available for a beginner can totally be different than for someone that's definitely more advanced just by changing that one piece. It's not that we need mm -hmm. to reinvent the wheel into this really different and challenging, you know, shape and exercise. But I do think that you bring some creativity that can... Um, can give something refreshing to people that have been training and that are not beginners. That's so true. Yeah. Even so my, I posted on Instagram the other day, some of my favorite exercises from the book and mm -hmm. my people who follow me are maybe more on the personal training, rehab, strength and conditioning side of things. And I think some of those exercises were new to people because like I said, I think Jenny and I, not that we invented them, everybody's done everything before, <laughs> but, um, At least that was the first time that I had seen them. So it was the first time that other people mm -hmm, had maybe mm -hmm, seen them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even experienced strength trainers might find something new and fun to play with. Yeah, totally. Um, Jenny, one of the concepts you center your teachings around is the idea that no movement is inherently right or wrong. Can mm -hmm. we, um, and I know Travis, you align with that too, as far as I understand. Can we talk yeah. a little bit about this just to as people get into our strength training program or as they want to open a little bit the way they move? Absolutely. Thank you for, for tuning into the messaging that I put out there enough to have kind of noticed that that's maybe a theme that's kind of woven into mm -hmm. what I've been putting out there for, I don't know how many years now. But I think that for me personally, that message has just really come to be one that's important to me because I know that I used to not understand that. And in the yoga world as a whole, sometimes I feel like we're, we're making some progressive change. And then other times I look in another corner of the yoga world and realize maybe, maybe there's more change that could be happening there. But the yoga world in general, for the longest time, I feel like has been really rooted in these ideas about good and bad alignment, uh, good and bad movement, and there, there being like right and wrong ways to move both I mean, especially within the context of yoga on the yoga mat, but also off the yoga mat and in daily life in general. And so those beliefs really are kind of interwoven into like a traditional approach to a yoga, yoga practice. So just these ideas that there is only one way to practice a yoga pose and this only one good alignment that everybody needs to find. And, and because of that, we will then use these like universal alignment cues or universal ways of teaching all bodies to embody a pose. And generally these ideas of right or wrong, at least in my experience, are the reason they're believed to be important is, is for safety and for avoiding injury. I mean, if it weren't for that, I think everyone would agree maybe it doesn't matter as much, but these ideas that we need to keep yoga students' bodies safe on the yoga mat And that's, of course, a responsible approach. Like, it's very well-intentioned. Mm -hmm. Yoga teachers in general, we don't want to be um, exposing our, our students' bodies to injury. We want to keep them, like, safe. But I think that the idea that using alignment to keep them safe, I think that's not necessarily the best means to that goal. And that, uh, because, and there's no, it's like multifaceted, of course, and also pain science plays a big role, as I mentioned earlier, which is a much bigger conversation. But we also know that a yoga practice just on the whole in general is a very low load, relatively speaking, type of movement practice, like compared to high impact sports or heavy weightlifting or jumping 
from a tall height all the way down to the ground, something like, like those are types of activities that involve high forces, fast impacts. And in those types of examples, the body might, might be more vulnerable to something like an injury or pain. But in a low load situation, which yoga is, uh, and in a yoga practice, all the movements are done pretty, pretty much like 99% of them are done slowly and with control. So there's that factor there also that keeps them relatively safe. I mean, maybe like the main movement I can think of that's maybe not slow and controlled is say a jump back to Chaturanga or something as you're jumping and landing. Not that I'm suggesting that that's an unsafe movement, but other than something like that or a jump forward from down dog to your hands, other than that, it's mostly slow controlled mm -hmm. movement that the goals that we're paying attention, you know, for, for at least that's one of my main goals is we're trying to focus our mind on our body as we move. So generally when we're moving slow enough in a low load situation, and we're also paying great attention to those movements and how they feel, of course, injury can happen in any context, you know, and it's not, not also to claim that you can never injure yourself in yoga, but I think that injury rates are a lot lower than, than people tend to believe out there and cl that claims are made out there. So, and, and we know that there's scientific literature on injury prevalence in yoga. And there's even an amazing article in my blog where I asked uh, this Yari Karpinen, who's a um, graduate student, PhD student in sports science. It is, uh, I forget his exact title, but we asked him to look at all the literature and do a full um, analysis and summary for us. And he did. And it's super informative. I like to pass that along to people when they try to claim that there are tons of injuries coming out of yoga all the time. Because on a relative basis, it's not really that high, like compared to other physical activities. So with all of that said, um, I think it kind of, so all of that informs my messaging about there really being no inherently right or wrong ways to move or ways to embody a yoga pose on the mat because risk of injury is low. So that kind of goes out the window as far as uh, a movement being inherently bad or dangerous. And what, uh, what really matters in my mind is individual context of the individual in the moment, like within an individual's context, like that particular person's body mm -hmm. and their loading history, their injury history, their reason for doing the movement or the yoga pose in the moment or their yoga teacher's reason if someone is teaching them the pose. Like all of that then gets embedded on into that pose in that moment. And then that might inform there being more of a, I don't know if right or wrong is the right terminology. Or Appropriate maybe in the moment or useful yeah. in the moment yes. or needed. Aligning. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Optimal for the goal that you might have in the moment yeah, or yeah, not. Yeah. Then, then it starts to have more meaning. And then we have more direction about what we're teaching and why. So it's also not to say that let's all get on the yoga mat and just do whatever and, mm -hmm. and flop around with no direction. But it's like, we need to set that framework yeah. of context. And within that, then we can start to place um, some value on how we're moving. Yeah. So, so I feel like that's context kind of long, and then mm -hmm. direction, like our intention, what we're trying to do and accomplish, and then being embodied and present and mindful with what we're doing matters more than the shape itself. Precisely. And all of that is why I just think we can't like look at yoga poses and movements and alignment and just label it from the outside as good or bad uh, on this inherent. That's why I'll generally when I talk about the message, I try to include inherent 
because the um, what I see happening out there is like that's just bad alignment that's going to injure you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a completely taken out of context way. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's what I'm trying to um, target. Mm-hmm. Does that help answer the question? Absolutely, absolutely. And Travis, on your side, I know one of your missions is to kind of close the gap between rehabilitation and performance. And so she mentioned a little bit about you know injuries in yoga. How can do you have any tips to f- finish up today and like how we can prevent injuries in general doesn't have to be in yoga but in our body and our movement practices whether it's yoga or strength in general or mixed together yeah so i first of all exactly echo exactly what jenny jenny said about all of the good versus bad movement good versus bad alignment and to re-emphasize the idea that injury is multifactorial mm-hmm. and so it's often not Although we tend to think of injury like based on the time, the the moment that it occurred, which we call in the scientific literature, the inciting event, oftentimes there are predisposing factors that make a person susceptible to injury. Mm -hmm. And so that can be things like their their strength, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. why strengthening can be really protective against injury. Um, but it, all, it can also be previous injuries. It can be um, their confidence in the movement. Um, and also all of these other factors. Stress is a big Postural one. Postural patterns, yeah. Yeah, sleep is a big one. Um, so, so just taking a more holistic view on injury and not uh, and preparation for that particular pose or that practice. So as opposed to saying, well, I got injured because I wasn't like activating my transverse abdominus enough in my forward fold. I don't even know if anybody says that. But, <laughs> I think um, I've heard things like that before. Okay, perfect. Um, say, well, what, what are all of the contextual factors surrounding this? So like um, last week, Jenny and I launched a book and I started having neck pain. Well, I'm stressed. <laughs> the book's I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been doing my uh, traditional movement practice. So rather than like saying, well, it's because I, I need a new pillow because I slept poorly mm-hmm. or, or just blaming it on one thing, uh, realizing, well, okay, there's a lot going on for me right now. Um, one, I, this is going to, this has happened to me before. It's going to calm down in a few days Two, I should keep moving because movement helps exercises and analgesic movement tends to help me feel better. Uh, so, so not catastrophizing, um, and not trying to blame any one thing. So that is maybe a long winded answer to the question, but it's a, it's kind of a, there's a lot to consider as yeah. opposed to just yeah. We can do well, a full episode just on that question. Yeah. Right. Well, I you know I did um, <laughs> headstand and now my mm-hmm. neck hurts. Like yeah, that that could have been the thing that tipped tipped you over the edge and increased your sensitivity to the point where you're saying, oh, I think I, I injured myself. But it wasn't just that mm-hmm. incident. Um, it was all of these things leading up to that incident. Awesome. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap this up? If there's like one takeaway or one thing that was really important that I we, we didn't talk about, you have a second to jump in here. 
This is always the hardest question. <laughs> you did such a great job. You really did. You asked like the perfect questions. Um, I it doesn't guess... have to be an answer. I just like to give the opportunity. <laughs> right. Um, I think I would just suggest that everybody is different and all of our experiences are individual. And so we're also not here to say that strength is the most important and best thing that everybody should do, you know, a hundred percent across the board, it might not be the best for everyone or our book might not be the best tool for every person, but we think that it will meet many yogis, especially those who are tuning into this messaging about the importance, like this, the lack of strength on the yoga mat in general, maybe they didn't realize that before. Um, It might meet them where they're at as far as wanting to bring something positive into their movement practice. But of course, we're not trying to to claim that it's like the best solution for everybody because we're all different. Mm -hmm. So I'll put all your info in the show notes. But in the meantime, if people want to see what you're doing online, they want to connect with you, they want to get the book, where's the best place for them to go? That would be the book's website, which is strengthforyoga.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. And then, um, and for Travis and myself personally, my website, I have a lot on there, a lot of um, educational offerings. So jennyrollings.com, Jenny with an I, J-E-N-N-I-R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S. And Travis? To to find me lately, you're more likely to find me on Jenny's website, but uh, I do (laughs) have uh, have your of Mm -hmm. blog archives at traviscollin.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing we can add about the book is that we're going to give a discount mm-hmm. code to your listeners. Yay. Thank you guys. So that will be $20 off mm-hmm. and you'll put this in the show notes, but it'll be on and off 20 as the discount code that they can Perfect. enter. Thank you. That's very generous. Yeah. Guys, go thank get the you. book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Erica. Well, thank you for joining me today. We're thank so happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast and visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to become a premium member. Get your hands on our exclusive content and support or join this community. You can also visit my website, ericabelanger.com, choose your favorite freebie, join my inner circle, or check out the show notes for this episode to to find more info about our guests of today, Jenny Rollins and Travis Pollan, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. Now, before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind the podcast as their support is making this possible. Once again, guys, thank you for listening. Until next time.